0: JasonCharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds Arts and culture You are listening to Lost Angeles with Laura Craven on JasonCharles.net This is Laura Craven for Los Angeles on jasoncharles.net. Coming up on episode 10, part two of my conversation with Tim Lindsay, historian and superintendent of the Virginia Robinson Gardens in Beverly Hills.
1: So we're very interested in the documentation of you know the significance of this great house and its influence on the cultural development of Southern California. So we have thousands of visitors that come on our tour a year. And they get a glimpse into this legendary period that'll never be repeated in American history where the Gilded Age of America is at the crossroads of the Golden Age of Hollywood.
0: I wanted to touch on the aviary that had been here. Now, I noticed there is one now that I saw, I think, three Beautiful birds. Well, it's
1: one big aviary, Mm -hmm. three chambers. Oh, okay. Okay, so each chamber had a different kind of bird. Uh, So the middle chamber, which is the largest, had um, approximately 300 Australian bluebirds. And the bluebirds uh, were the singing birds. And so she had those there. And then on the other end was... The toucan. So, the, this toucan is really the mascot for Fruit Loops. Uh-huh. Cereal. <laughs> yes. I don't know that anybody still eats those. But the Fruit Loop cereal box has a toucan on it. And she had one of those and then uh, had a special cage that could come into the house on, on the, uh, for cocktails uh-huh. as a talking point. Wow. And it was in a very special cage on the loggia. And then everybody had asked about the bird and that would start the conversations. And then she had another chamber for birds that were being brought brought to her by friends that had injuries. And she was then trying to nurse those owls and other birds that might run into windows uh, and have sprained wings or something that was afflicting them that could maybe be corrected. And then outside of the bird cage, are many other birds. We've had um, birders on the property for bird counts uh, the first of the year is commonly when they come. And we have 150 different species of birds. And then we have um, a pair of horned owls that live here. So as soon as the sun starts going down, you hear their amazing hooting. And they hoot. And they mate for life. And I understand they live like 25 to 30 years. Oh,
0: that's lovely.
1: So the aviary was a big deal. And uh, Virginia, we have receipts from... Uh, The 66 years that she lived here and they bought seeds, six pounds of seed every week from the Beverly Hills pet store. And, you know, she had a very large staff, staff of 21. And so somebody must have been in charge of just archiving all these receipts. And so um, we know that for all those years, they bought the seed. And then when Virginia was in her late 90s, the kids that still were in the neighborhood would come over and she would go with them and they would feed the birds. And on one day in particular, she wasn't feeling up to going out to the aviary. And so she sent the kids with the bird seed out to feed the bluebirds. And apparently, um, they accidentally left the door open. Somehow, the birds all escaped. Oh. And so, in Virginia's characteristic way, instead of having, um, you know, a major meltdown and worried about what's going on, she said, well, now they're free. And she just left it at that. There was no repercussion about who did leave the gate open. She just accepted the fact that they had escaped, and now they were free. <laughs>
0: Oh, what a story. And so those birds, they went off to live their lives and make new birds out in Los Angeles. And I don't
1: think they would have left Beverly Hills.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> they got used to the... Yeah,
1: they the, got used to the six the pounds of bird feed every right. <laughs> Well, they had monkeys, too. Did you see the monkey cage? I
0: did see the monkey cage. Do you want to talk about the monkeys? Okay, let's do that.
1: So um, Harry's main office, the headquarters, were downtown L.A. Uh, and so he would have to take Wilshire Boulevard from Beverly Hills to downtown L.A. And in doing that, he passed by a pet store. And it was in August, and the pet store owner was... Offering a monkey, a smaller version of, it's not a chimpanzee, it's a kabusa monkey, which is the type that we used to travel with the carnivals and they always wore a red kind of cap with a tassel and there was an organ grinder that was the owner and he would make the music and then the monkey was trained to put its paw out and ask for a quarter and then the monkey made the money disappear was trained to put it in his pocket and then that's how this organ grinder he was getting paid for making the music so this was one of those types of monkeys and he brought it home because the first day asked the owner you know wouldn't you think it would be better to put this monkey in the back while the sun's hitting it in the window you know he's he's very attuned to animals they had dogs and loved their animals and so the owner put the monkey in the back for the day and the next day, the same thing is there. The monkey's in the sun. It's a very hot day. So he just went in and purchased the monkey, turned around and brought the monkey home. And again, in Virginia's characteristic way, she said, why just one? <laughs> and so he had to buy a second one. And they realized later they had a, a male, and a female, because it had a baby Aww. in June of the year. The June was the month the baby was born. So they called the baby June. And uh, then I guess they had another baby, and so they had four monkeys. And then they had uh, almost too many monkeys because they were. But at that point, there were no neighbors here. It was all uh, bean fields, and uh, you know, as far as the eye could see, it was was barley and other types of lima beans because they only were irrigated by the winter rains. And so the monkeys had the run of the the land, the property and then the neighbors started building houses and the robinsons never mind if they knocked on the windows in the kitchen and asked, you know beg for food but then when the neighbors started having the visits by the monkeys knocking on their windows to get them out of bed to feed them they didn't like it (laughs) and so virginia had to build a very large containment which you know that was very much the way that people lived uh, of their caliber they would collect uh, menageries of wild animals because there were no restrictions. And, you know, not very far from here is the Playboy Mansion. And they had a whole menagerie of of white peacocks, different kinds of peacocks, and, you know, huge outbuildings that then housed collections of iguanas and things that they brought back from their travels. So, you know, the nature of people is to collect things. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you collect furniture and plants, and and then they, they were actually very interested in the exotic animals that they could make pets out of. There was another pet here that was a a desert tortoise and the desert tortoise was entertainment for the children. So when the parents would come with young kids, Virginia would give them a head of cabbage. They ate vegetables, they were vegetarians and she gave them this head of cabbage and she said, go find the tortoise. And they would spend hours looking for the tortoise. And then once they found it, they would feed it and that was their fun. And on a few occasions, the tortoise had made it into the house, and they found it under Virginia's bed, hibernating. <laughs>
0: <laughs> who wouldn't want to be in the house? How great that the tortoise had the run of the the six acres as well.
1: And, and so it was with the dogs as well. Yeah. yeah. So the major domo who was here when I started working here some 22 years ago, and I spent the last 10 years of his life learning all this information about the Robinsons from him, and he was very... Generous in spending time mm-hmm. with me, and and giving me a full education as to who these people were and what they did for the cultural history of Southern California, if not the nation. So I'm very appreciative to that fact, and and then having the ability to um, publish a book on our centennial, right? That was uh, so in twenty eleven, mm-hmm. uh, which then captures a lot of that history as it moves forward. So we're very interested in the documentation of you know, the significance of this great house and its influence on the cultural development of Southern California. And one of the things that really is so good, a good feeling here is that, as we talked about, the family was philanthropic Mm -hmm. and they gave a lot of their uh, money away while they were alive. And then when Virginia passed away, She transferred her property, the six and a half acres and all the artifacts to the county of Los Angeles that then operates it as a public entity. So we have thousands of visitors that come on our tour a year and they get a glimpse into, again, this legendary period that will never be repeated in American history where the Gilded Age of America is at the crossroads of the Golden Age of Hollywood.
0: Right. That's a great way to put it. And, you know, since you were talking about LA County and how she just so generously bequeathed everything to them, I wanted to touch on that's where you came from in 1998. You were working with LA County. So obviously, this would have been looked upon as a major promotion to become the superintendent of this amazing property. So tell me a little bit about what brought you to this niche career, because you obviously have such distinct interests in botany and architecture and art and in history as well. So that's a pretty well-rounded background.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I'm still growing in that way. I mean, I've learned a lot over the years by observation but I think just to rewind as you mentioned I started with the LA County Arboretum in Arcadia, California which is 127 acres it was the central core of a 13,000 acre rancho uh, which was purchased by Elijah Baldwin in back in the 18 roughly 50s and it had a historic component a Queen Anne cottage and uh, in an earlier building an adobe, which is where a lot of the um, people first you know, had housing and, and bricks made from the local soil mixed with straw. So I had that exposure, although at that point I was still very much into the plant collection. They have over 50,000 plants and oh, I have a whole introduction program. <laughs> so I had seven and a half years of that and being acquainted with that aspect, the ranchal period of California. And then this is the early 20th century representation of the the California that it became when, you know, as statehoods, 1850, and, you know, the people that were coming here at the turn of last century were industrialists and we talked about it being the largest migration in America, voluntary migration by professional people and mainly industrialists getting out of what became the hellhole of the East Coast, which is New York City with, you know, horse manure and no (laughs) sewers and the smell of the city in the summer was just appalling. So they brought out here the formula of making a city with all the latest inventions. So, you know, my interest is really in the, in, in the history of and the evolution of America as it was influenced by the industrialized age and what that brought to everybody of all walks of life. Because once all these inventions coalesce, then you have another standard of living that's then spread across all the, the different uh, economic levels so right i mean labor force and... yeah the labor force so you know i was trained in the, the soil plant and soil science horticulture forestry but as a child growing up i always gardened and i always had a, an affinity for wherever i was the history and i always had an affinity for objects and the history that the, the stories that the objects told and not only you know who commissioned them or why they were Ever came into existence, but I oftentimes thought about the people who were actually making these pieces and what they were like and what lives they lived. So there's all these facets to look at objects and understand the objects, not just the technology and the techniques and the methodology of how they're made, but who made them and what they you know, were doing and what purpose they served in a community. So you never get bored. And you're always putting together and, and connecting the dots. So there's a lot of histories we call oral histories There's, you know, histories that you can go and find through archives in the city as to when the building permits were given to the Robinsons to do uh, remodels. And all those things come together. And then suddenly after 20 years, you're walking around and there's this new discovery where then you can connect five or six dots. And now not only do you know why this is where it is, but you understand the nature and the minds of the people who then inhabited the house because I never met them. So there's this link, and one of the things that I'd like to mention is that You know, we are stewards of this property. We said it's an as-found museum. It's a representation, a page in history. So one of the things that we do as a guiding principle, and this is really the litmus test, is we have to figure if the Robinsons were ever to come back here, that they would recognize this as their house. They could open the drawers and find their things, and they could walk through the gardens and smell many of the same flowers that they planted or had planted on their estate.
0: I love that. That's a great perspective, Tim. And I can say under your direction for these two plus decades, I mean, this property has been resurrected, it's thrived, it's flourished, and and we can all be grateful for all the the loving work that you've put into this and the respect that you have, you know, for the Robinsons, for the mm-hmm. the history and I did want to say that the book that you mentioned that was published in the Centennial, that is called Beverly Hills First Estate, the House and Gardens of Virginia and Harry Robinson. So that would be a great beginning to learn, but ultimately should be capped off with a visit to this amazing property. And one unique way to do that and also to support the cause is to come to the big fundraising event that happens every spring this year It is called Into the Garden, and it will be held on May 16th. Tickets start at $250 and go up from there. But if that isn't quite the price point that you're looking at, then you can come Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. I believe adult tickets for those are $11? Yes,
1: and $6 for children Mm -hmm. and, and people that are retired. Okay,
0: definitely well worth it, for sure. And for More information, definitely the website, Mm robinsongardens.org, is the place to go. There's beautiful photographs there. You can learn more about the history. And you can reserve, again, two weeks in advance is usually good lead time. Yeah, definitely in the summer. And you probably have a reservation page on the website, but the public's also welcome to email visit at Mm -hmm. robinsongardens.org. And... I wanted to say thank you so much, Tim, for the time that you took to talk to me today and to take me on the tour of the gardens and the house. It's been just just a beautiful experience, and I really do appreciate that.
1: You're very welcome, Laura, and I so appreciate you coming and uh, spending time here to look around and get an idea of what we have in our collection and hopefully you found some inspiration for your own garden or maybe your own house
0: definitely i will certainly be back as well because you can't take it all in in one visit you know that's just going to be impossible Uh yeah
1: it's worth coming back more than a few times and i i really appreciate your um, complimenting me on my work here but i would like to broaden that thank you because um the the estate is quite old you know by la standards Uh, We're like 108 years old, and of course uh, the buildings and everything have to be restored. So somebody has to be in charge, but you have to have support in terms of uh, the county helping with the staffing. So we have the public side that is funded by the county who takes care of the utilities and the staffing. And then we have a Friends of Robinson group that does the programming. So we have educational programs, we have various fundraising activities, and we do things that emulate what the Robinsons stood for in terms of their ability to um, coerce people into being the best they can be and do the the, the best they can do uh, as far as charity work, volunteering. So those two entities come together the private and the public and virginia was very close with the reagan's when um, ronnie reagan was governor before he became president Um, they were quite active here socially and then once they went to the white house and um, his wife was rather reluctant to leave bel-air uh, so she was back here quite often, maybe more so than in Washington, particularly in the winter for the reasons we talked about. Uh, and so it was her birthday, and she remembered very fondly of you know the parties here. So she knew uh, one of the Friends members and said, you know, could I have a one last birthday party at the estate? And they said, well, of course. I mean, it's the First Lady of the, <laughs> the United States, so I don't think there would have been a no in there. Right. Uh, so she had her birthday party here, and then she went back. And told her husband that she had been here and what she had done. And he wrote a letter from the Oval Office on stationery, White House stationery, saying that the public-private relationship between the county of Los Angeles and the friends of Robinson Gardens is exemplary and should be carried out across this great land to save our national treasures. That's so when things start story. getting a little bleak and looking down, we get that letter mm-hmm. out and it gives us a huge morale boost. Right.
0: <laughs> well, it's great that you, you know, I love that story and also that that essential duality of public and private. It's absolutely necessary to keep a property like this alive and mm. growing mm. and no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> so again it's just been such a pleasure today tim i really appreciate your time and again the website is robinsongardens.org i would encourage everyone to go there and make a reservation to come and visit and learn more about this amazing amazing property this is laura craven for jasoncharles.net podcast network Please visit robinsongardens.org for more information about their annual garden tour and Showcase House Extravaganza coming this fall and other upcoming events and programs. You've been listening to Lost Angeles with Laura Craven on jasoncharles.net. JasonCharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds That was so deep